Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. This week on the Esports Moment, we get one-on-one with Jack Harari, Vice President of International Partnerships at Activision Blizzard Esports Leagues. He's in charge of making the big commercial partnerships happen beyond the US borders for all Blizzard and Activision Esports franchises, including the Overwatch League, which we talk about in depth, and he'll also be tackling the needs of Call of Duty World League as well down the track. Jack came to Activision Blizzard in mid-2018 from almost five years in global partnerships development at the NBA, so he brings some very serious traditional sports expertise into the esports domain. Jack was a really nice guy and was in Sydney to speak at a Business of Sports Summit event, so it was a real treat to have Activision Blizzard make the time to sneak the esports moment into his schedule. His insights are really interesting, so I'm sure you'll get a lot out of this conversation about his experience so far in esports, how he sees commercial and broadcast partners fitting into the evolving landscape, and lots more. Let's dive in. Here's our moment with Jack Harari, Vice President of International Partnerships at Activision Blizzard Esports Leagues. I'm curious what triggered your personal shift from traditional sports to esports? Wow. Uh, it's, a, it's a loaded question, a big question, <laughs> right? I, I, I am a huge traditional sports fan. Um, I don't necessarily think that it is a, uh, a one or the other, right? You know, I grew up playing video games and I, I grew up playing uh, uh, traditional sports as well. Uh, for me, though, it was just, you know, an undeniable um, uh, uh, wave of excitement and attention around gaming and around esports. Um, you know, and I had to, I probably had some common misconceptions uh, uh, for people with a sports background before I'd gotten into esports that it was up and coming as opposed to fully arrived, which is what I know now, and that it is a mainstream product. But for me, when you were looking at the, you know, you were looking at statistics about audience size and about passion behind gaming and uh, around engagement numbers, it was just something that I wanted to be a part of. It's it's uh, uh, an amazing industry, and um, I've been incredibly, incredibly happy with the with the move that I've made. Uh, nothing. You know, that's not to say anything bad about traditional sports at all. It's, it's still an incredible product, but. Um, but for me, the the, the long term uh, uh, perspective of of um, esports is just uh, it's it's really it's undeniable. Mm. So through that transition, I'm curious, good or bad, what were the surprises as you made the shift? I guess you know you can only expect so much. Um, you know, were there things that sort of took you by surprise along the way? Yeah, well, there's never anything bad in life, right? Life <laughs> is always what you make of it, and and it's all about perspective. And uh, um, you know, you, you know, we're we're all 
you know, conscious and aware human beings. And if we make choices and we make decisions and everything's going to be good. Um, so everything has been good. I've absolutely loved it. Um, you know, there are certainly learnings that, that have come along the way. Um, I, I don't know that I'm necessarily surprised by anything. I would say I'm, um, uh, I'm pleased by a lot of things, right. By the level of, of sophistication of our esports products, um, and, and how we, bring that product to whether it's brands or fans or, or media properties. Um, and, and, you know, we came in, I came in with like certain, uh, thoughts about how to mirror traditional sports into esports, And I don't think that that's, you know, whether or not I'm a part of esports. esports is going to be incredibly successful. And so it, it's, it'd be really presumptuous of me to think that, uh, there's, uh, uh, that there's anything about esports that is surprising, right? It's all it's all incredible and it's all great at this point. And um, uh, you know, it's just a really interesting industry, and it's and the, the people and the passion that exists in esports is is unparalleled anywhere else that I've that I've come across. Um, what are the kinds of discussions that are part of your regular work in esports that like maybe weren't really part of of discussions in traditional sports? Here's you know how I guess how that sort of paradigm shift as you say there's sort of lots of things that are sim- similar and can, and can flow across um but yeah really curious about what are the things that are that are kind of new to the whole discussion of how you sell esports as a package yeah um it's a great question you know we the, the commercialization strategy that we're taking throughout esports right now let's say across uh, uh, marketing partnerships last sponsorship um uh, media rights and product licensing um, is is not too dissimilar to the conversation around traditional sports. You know, at the end of the day, you're you're representing an audience, and you're uh, uh, you're trying to convey to your partner that your audience is highly engaged, um, is has purchasing power, um, is is educated, is savvy, all that kind of stuff. And so, while the the products that I am representing today are maybe different from the products that I was representing in traditional sports, um, the end game is, is ultimately the same. I think one of the really exciting things, uh, and maybe different if, if we could even say different, but one of the really exciting things about esports compared to, to, to traditional sport is how much our, our fan base and our audience pushes us. Right. And, and just the, um, you know, how they, you know, the, the level of quality that they hold us to and expectations. And so that really requires us to be on top of our game at all times and to be innovative and to, and to be strategic, uh, about the partners that we're working with and about how we're bringing our product to our fan base. And, and so, um, that's, I don't know that that's different, but it's just, it's maybe intensified because of the passionate relationship that we have with our audience. Mm. Now I'm also curious about, um, again, with your perspectives from sort of traditional sports as well, do you feel like this is a patient or an impatient industry compared uh, to traditional sports? Because I think games often seem like they move in dog years um, when it, you know, in terms of how quickly things change. But I think esports also seems like it's starting to bring a lot of longevity to games that weren't there when it was the classic sort of you just, you know, buy a single player game off a shelf, you play it for a few weeks and then you go find the next one. So yeah, it feels like there's an interesting dynamic in this space. You know, I think, um, 
you know, traditional sports, and I, and we're, I try to get out of one of the things I've tried to do most is stop comparing esports to traditional yeah. sports, right? And I think that's uh, that's a mistake that not a mistake, but right, it's a trap that we all fall into because it seems to be the easiest thing, right? But we're a form of entertainment. The way that concerts are a form of entertainment, the way that movies are a form of entertainment, whatever whatever it is that somebody does for fun, that's what esports is. And and you know, esports is a spectacle. It's engaging in ways that traditional sports are, and traditional sports aren't. One of the benefits that traditional sports Tabs, that there are products that have been around for um, 100 years, 150 years, 200 years in some cases, like soccer, right? And, um, you know, gaming has been around for 40 odd years and, and esports and its modern uh, uh, construct has really been around for 20 or so years, right? That started with StarCraft, one of our games in, in Korea. Uh, but before then, there was still competitive gaming happening in arcades, happening in living rooms, stuff like that. And so the, the place that we're in and the, the size of our industry for what is really a relatively young uh, uh, space is really remarkable, right? There, there are estimates, let's say by Nuzu, that there are, uh, by 2022, there'll be 650 million uh, uh, esports fans, right? That's people who identify themselves as fans. That's not just viewers, right? And I think they estimate that roughly 300 million people will be core enthusiasts. And this is for a space that in its in its modern iteration has been around for just about 20 years. And so when you compare that on a, on a scale and on numbers to what traditional sports has done, right, whereas, you know, basketball has been around 120 years, baseball has been around 150 years, soccer is 200 years, cricket and, and rugby are centuries old, right? And so uh, to have that type of audience and have that mass scale in, in such a short amount of time is remarkable. Um, and so it, the, the challenge of how to uh, uh, of how to corral that and how to be responsive to that is really is really the biggest goal. Yeah, and that's good. That's my last question on the comparisons. So yeah, we can move on from there. Um, I think you know Overwatch League really seems like it's done an incredible job right out of the gate of actually attracting sort of some non endemic you know uh, companies to get involved. What do you kind of put it down to um, for the fact that it that you know, it has had such a good relationship with new kinds of partners into this industry. Yeah, you know, we, we've tried to make uh, Overwatch League and, and the entire Overwatch ecosystem pretty easy to understand. Uh, so we created a path to professionalism that is, uh, that is simple. Uh, we control that ecosystem, right, from a grassroots level and a youth level uh, up through Overwatch Contenders, which has done incredibly well here in Australia, and, and Australia has competed well throughout the Overwatch ecosystem uh, through Overwatch League, and then and then at a global level, right, nation versus nation with Overwatch World Cup, which Australia has also done incredibly well with. And, and so for us, um, creating that path to professionalism and controlling that ecosystem uh, in, a, in a communication with a brand so if you're our partner in Coca-Cola and, and you understand that you have um, and you're a global partner, that you have uh, continuity throughout the entire Overwatch esports ecosystem, that's a really easy thing to kind of wrap your head around. And it's really enticing uh, when you look at traditional stick and ball sports. Um, you know, the youth level for, for baseball around the world is not the same entity as the collegiate level. It's not the same entity as Major League Baseball. And so, you know, you don't have that relationship with your uh, with, the, with the player throughout the entire ecosystem. You have to different you have to partner at different levels. And we've simplified that for brands. Um, we've simplified the communication. We've hired staff that understands what brands are looking for. At the end of the day, you're selling an audience. You're selling a relationship. Um, and, and 
really, you're not even, I mean, selling's the wrong word, right? You're just, you know, you're presenting it and you're making it easy for, for people. And so whether you're an endemic or non-endemic at the, you know, you just want to understand, um, how do you, how do you communicate best with an audience and in the most simple way? And I think we've, we've done a really good job of setting up that structure. Mm. And then I guess at the moment, a lot of other, um, of the Blizzard games, they kind of don't have many partners involved at the moment. Is the, is it that the priority right now is kind of nailing Overwatch League as a, as a concept and package and other, you know, learnings from that will start to spill over into other games down the track? Or, you know, is it just that the package that is Overwatch is, is a much easier sell, as you sort of say, that it's easy to understand? I know StarCraft has had some, like here, McDonald's has been a partner. Um, but, uh, you know, clearly it's, you know, Overwatch League is kind of really knocking it out of the park, you know, in a way that the others aren't necessarily at the moment. So we've had strong partnerships across all of our all of our esports portfolio, right? Within Blizzard, um, you mentioned McDonald's here here in Australia in 2018. They were partners across the entire uh, Blizzard portfolio. Um, so they did stuff with StarCraft, they did stuff with Hearthstone, with Overwatch, with our entire portfolio. And um, and we've had partnerships in Korea. We've had partnerships in in Europe as well around different around all of our different uh, 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 esports and programs and. Um, you know, for us, the, the approach that we try to take is how can we be, how can we help a brand uh, to the best of our ability in the markets that are most important to them? And one of the benefits of working with Activision Blizzard is that we have five esports that we activate around. And, and some of those esports are more popular in, in certain markets than in others. And you know that just because you play uh, StarCraft doesn't mean you play Call of Duty or just because you play Overwatch doesn't mean you play Hearthstone. And so, you know, because of the depth of our bench, not bench, but just the depth of our product line and, and of our esports program, we can be so many different things to so many different brands, wherever it is most important to them. And that was one of the things that is, to me is the most in, incredible things about Activision Blizzard is that we have generational games. You know, people are, are coming to esports events, watching esports events with their kids, right? If you're a fan of World of Warcraft, you've been a fan of World of Warcraft for a long time now, and, and your kids are engaged with that product now. And, um, you know, depending upon the marketplace that, that a brand has interest in, we could be really targeted in our approach and leveraging our uh, best, uh, our best program and best asset in that specific market for them. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Regionality then is, is you know, a huge part of what's, what's going on specifically with Overwatch as well. But um, I'm curious through that program and, and through, you know, your responsibility into sort of the global market, uh, you know, how are you sort of seeing the way, firstly, I guess, how that sort of, you know, 
geo-targeted relationship with different cities and different things around the world, uh, you know, how successful that's been so far. Um, and then also just any of those regional differences you might sort of notice when it comes to the conversations that you're having when you're, uh, you know, trying to help sort of bring partners uh, partners on board. For Overwatch specifically? Um, I guess, yeah, Overwatch is probably the great example of, of having cities attached to teams. Um, but yeah, in general as well about how regions differ around the world at the moment. Definitely. So, you know, one for... If we look at Overwatch specifically, one of the things that we obviously tried to do was to drive this sort of city-based, fan-based, and franchise-based experience. And, and that's been uh, the fact that we've been that Overwatch has been competing in Los Angeles for two years running now, or 2018, our inaugural season, and, and 2019 now, that, that that has been competing in Los Angeles. And in 2020, we're going to... Um, uh, we're going to home market, as we've announced. Um, and the fact that we've seen such incredible local engagement by our teams, even though their player base spends a significant amount of time out of their market right now, but uh, uh, is, is incredibly encouraging. And so we work closely with our teams about uh, how to uh, maximize best practices in their local markets, um, whether that's through viewing parties and fan events or local sponsorship deals or uh, as they try to find the, the, the right arenas to be uh, to be operating in next year. Um, and and yeah, I mean, you know, we've we've we're trying to do something that has never been done before, which is a truly global uh, city based franchise based league. And there's a ton of uh, logistical hurdles along the way. But um you know, we we see a ton of interest in in the markets where we have franchises and in the markets where we don't have franchises, frankly, um, because there's been a, a really strong set of marketing that's gone behind o- Overwatch League and a lot of PR. And that's not just from the league standpoint, it's from the team standpoint as well. So, again, we work closely with teams about how to mobilize their their base. Um, and and it's been really positive and, and we're going to continue to see growth out of that. So do you have any specific thoughts on where the Australian market is at compared to others? I mean, you've been here for many hours now, I'm sure. So <laughs> you must you know, know it off like the back of your hand at this point. But, you know, you're at a, a business and sports summit yeah. uh, sort of here while you're here. So curious, any any of those sort of thoughts and, and the kinds of feedback that you're getting from the discussions you've had here? Yeah, we, we talked about this a little bit yesterday at, at the business sports summit, um, you know, not to anyone's surprise, or at least it shouldn't be to anyone's surprise, you know, similar to traditional sports, Australia as a as a not a big country performs incredibly well at, at esports as well. Right. So, you know, Australia is always a top medal count in, in the Olympics right, for traditional sports. And um, that translates over to esports as well. Right. You know, you guys are passionate about competition um, and you take excellence really seriously. And so in 2018, we had phenomenal Australian representation at a number of our esports uh, finals at BlizzCon um, in Anaheim in November. And um, and that was not a surprise, right? I mean, Australia has, has shown that they have uh, uh, strong capabilities um, and strong skills. And, and uh, it's really exciting and really encouraging. And we know there's going to be a ton more performance out of this market. Um, and we're excited to see where it goes. Amongst all the sort of different discussions you have around the world, a big thing that always comes up in the video game space is, you know, video game equals violence. It's a shooting game, those kinds of things. Is that a problem that you kind of have to address 
when you're discussing things with different kinds of you know companies or people sort of saying they're still a bit standoffish because they're not sure of how that you know how that sort of reflects on a brand and things like or you know are we mostly sort of getting past that sort of side of things when it comes to these kinds of business relationships that you're dealing with you know um our our esports uh create an environment of of teamwork of community of uh of strategy of leadership um and that's something that uh, anyone can understand and anyone can relate to um brands media platforms fans alike also curious about your perspective on broadcast partnerships it's something i wrote a piece recently saying that in the end esports doesn't necessarily need broadcast to succeed because it's created its own sort of comfortable space with a giant audience that lives inside it. But, um, but you know, you guys have been doing a good job in broadcast partnerships as well through, you know, Watch League uh, in particular. Um, but, yeah, where do you sort of sit on that idea of the, the, the pros and cons or, or just, you know, what those benefits are to the esports ecosystem to build those kinds of traditional broadcast relationships as well? Yeah, you, you mentioned Overwatch League. We've had a, a significant amount of success on traditional broadcast partnerships. Um, we were the first uh, in, in the U.S. We were the first uh, live esport broadcast in primetime on ESPN. Um, and we were also broadcast on ABC, uh, free to air television just a few weeks ago. Um, we have broadcast relationships in, um, in Germany, in Russia, in France, um, in Canada. Um, and, and so I think broadcast, traditional broadcast platforms, TV platforms, you know, I think they know that that 30% of the audience, the esports audience, does not consume traditional television. Um, 30% of the audience are digital natives, are not traditional sport fans, all these kind of things. And so, um, and so I, you know, they realize that they need to be involved in this space. And so we've had some really good conversations and, and in this market and in other markets uh, about how traditional broadcast television platforms um, uh, are relevant in, in the esports community. And, and um, I think, you know, the ones that recognize that they need to, uh, they need to uh, improve their relationship with a young, elusive, coveted demographic are, are ahead of the game and have strong strategies around how to e- approach esports. And they don't see it as a risk to get involved in esports they see it as a risk not to get involved in esports and and those are the partners we want to be talking to um because the the ones that aren't thinking that way are the ones that are going to be left behind because they're going to lose this entire youth audience mm. i heard there were some really good stats uh off the um the the finals in particular just recently when it came to the broadcast and i think it, that you know that they did hit some of those classic demographics that tv feels like it it just doesn't reach anymore that suddenly by having you know, the uh, Overwatch League finals broadcasting in the US uh, on sort of one of the sports channels, I think that it actually hit some of those those target audiences and even beat some other stats in some of the sort of traditional uh, sports audiences around that time. It sounds like that, that it's proving itself well in those uh, conditions where it's starting to pop up, right? Yeah, de- definitely. I mean, the, the reality is, is that there are there's a huge fan base and audience around this. And I think, you know, one, our fan base uh, is excited when their product is in places that they don't necessarily expect it to be. Um, it's, it's a, it's validation is the wrong word, but it's a recognition that, that, you know, we're not niche, that we are mainstream, which everybody that is involved in esports knows that, right? Anybody that's in this space knows that it's a mainstream space already and that it's a mass 
industry. And, and the same way that a fan base gets excited and energized when brands are speaking to them in their space um, and in their comfort zone, uh, it's the same thing about um, uh, broadcast partners that are, that are getting involved. Um, and, you know, the, as we grow our distribution platforms and distribution relationships, our numbers will continue to grow as a result. Um, I'd love you to touch on uh, the the idea of kind of the the viewing parties and activations and things that teams have been doing. I think that kind of helps people to maybe you know grasp just how well that you know that there's often people who'll be like, oh, but you know, like the the teams are like you say, the teams are all based in Los Angeles, so how how associated are they with the cities? But that they have been doing a great job of starting to to draw in that idea of well, if you live in this place, come together and we'll all sort of watch. Um, or, you know, different things like that. It, it seems like that, that the teams themselves and the owners of the teams uh, are really actively start, trying to build those local audiences as well. Yeah, they definitely are. I, I think, you know, they were all one of the they were all really excited about the prospect of some time before we went to home market so that they can understand who their fan base is there and they can kind of create this anticipation and this groundswell and this thirst. Uh, so by way of example, our China teams have partnered and, and the league as well have partnered with um, a, th- a movie theater chain uh, who does uh, a weekly viewing parties at their, at their theaters. Um, we call them, they're, they're more fan events than viewing parties, right? Um, and those have had an incredibly high engagement. Uh, it's an opportunity for, um, fans to, uh, uh, again, be excited about what's coming to their market to cheer their teams on. Um, that happens in, in New York as well. They've done pop-up stores. Um, and, and they're, the, the teams are starting to announce local, local partnership deals. Um, you know, Philadelphia Fusion announced a, a, a dedicated esports arena that they're working on, um, that they're breaking ground on. And that's going to be state of the art, first of its kind around the world. And all of that really works to get a localized fan base really excited about what's going to be happening in, in 2020. Um, and, and so, yeah, I mean, we're just, we're thrilled by the amount of activity that our teams have done. And, and again, it's all about creating this anticipation, creating this excitement. Um, and I think fans are going to be uh, incredibly, incredibly happy with the product that we bring to the marketplaces uh, in 2020. It's also cool that the teams are really building their own identities. Like I, I'm in love with some of the Chinese teams and how they know how to meme yeah, so well. And they yeah. really kind of bring yeah. that attitude that means – like people like me are sitting around going, I, I think I'm going to buy a Guangzhou Charge jersey just because I think I like the way they do their social media. Yeah. yeah, it's cool. I mean, I think I think that's one of the cool things about having teams from different marketplaces and ownership groups of different backgrounds and different strategies and uh, is that they can, one, they can learn from each other, they can share best practices, um, and they can all embrace what their core identity is. And, uh, you know, there's and that's one of the reasons why we wanted our teams to be city based as well is so that they can embrace what that that again, that core identity is of that city as well. So it's this combination of of the company that is that is part of the ownership group or the entity that is part of the ownership group and the city identity and and what those combine and mesh to is just it's awesome. And and there are teams that are doing really cool things. All of our teams are. And, and then it essentially becomes, you know, sort of a competition as who does the best social and, and who does the best local events and who celebrates their fan base in the best way. And, and that's, that's the beauty of what it is. And, and it takes on a life of its own and it continues to grow, continues to grow and to prosper. What do you feel like is the biggest challenge that still lies in front of you for, uh, you know, for the success of, of all of the, you know, Activision Blizzard esports that you look after? 
Wow. Um, I don't know if there's a biggest challenge, right? You know, we are. Give me six. Yeah, yeah, exactly. (laughs) It's it's funny. You know, when I, when I, uh, when I joined this company and I joined this role, I remember thinking about, okay, what are the few things that I want to get done? And, and, you know, you think about it and in terms of like your priority scale and, and the way I, joke about it now is that I have 15 number one priorities. <laughs> I have 20 number two priorities, you know, and it's, it doesn't, there is no ladder, right? Um, there's a lot, you know, look, it, it's, we, I don't want to call it a challenge. It's, it's a, it's an exciting, uh, you know, it's an exciting place to be, to have uh, a, such a high engaged fan base, um, to have brand partners that are really excited and really enthused about it, to have media partners that are excited and enthused about it, uh, to be pushing great uh, merchandise and in the marketplace. And, and for us, the, the goal is to always be responsive to what our fan base wants, um, uh, to, be, to be putting out the best product possible for our fan base. Um, and, and again, it's not, a, it's not a challenge, right? It's a mantra. It's a way of life, right, is, is, to, is to really uh, uh, putting out the best product product, best quality product that you always can do. Um, and that, that look, there's going to be bumps and bruises along the way as every company has, as every league has, as every, uh, uh, anything has, right. Personal relationships, whatever it is, there's ups and downs in life. Um, and you know, for us, it's maintaining the foresight of, of, and maintaining the vision of, of why we're doing what we're doing. Um, and, and, uh, just, you know, doing the things that, that our community is, is hoping to get out of esports and, and, uh, you know, just being really successful at it. And any final thoughts or other messages that you kind of would like to project to that, you know, the wider industry out there on, on, you know, I guess why it is that, you know, the ecosystem you're involved with is, you know, is the, uh, the place to be. Which industry? The the gaming industry? I mean, or just yeah, the, it's the funny. Hu- when the I, human when I, industry? Even when, when I wrote it down, I literally thought, maybe he'll have a message to the esports industry. Maybe he'll have a message to the business community. Uh, yeah, whatever we, you feel like. Let's is talk, should we talk humans in general, right? Yeah, no, that's, yeah. yeah just um, out there for the whole world. How yeah. to bring us all together as one. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> We're going to solve world peace in the next <laughs> two minutes here. Uh, you know, for – I don't know if it's a final message, right? I, I just think if you are – uh, if you're a brand, if you're a media company, if you are a uh, uh, a product uh, licensee, and and you don't have your strategy around esports, then you are whether you are Australia specific, whether you're a global company out of Australia, whether you're uh, in any market around the world. If you don't have that strategy yet, um, you're not behind the curve. You've missed it, right? And um, there are there are companies. Uh, whether it's on the publishing side and on the game side, whether it's a third party uh, what, uh, who does operations and who puts on events, whether it's uh, brands and media entities uh, who are doing incredible, incredible things in this space, who have really solid long-term visions um, of how to engage this fan base and how to grow the fan base and how to grow the player base. And if you're if that's not part of your plans and part of your strategy and you're saying, oh, you know what? Let's see. Let's get through this quarter. Let's get through this fiscal, and then let's address it. Then you've missed the you've already missed the boat, and uh, uh, you really need to take a strong, hard look in the mirror about what your identity is, and and does your company have the uh, intestinal fortitude and the foresight and the uh, strength to grow with what is um, a nonstop locomotive that's only going to continue to grow and flourish for for years and years to come. <laughs>
The Esports Moment is produced by me, Seamus Byrne, and you can find more great conversations with industry leaders over at the website biteside.com. Or you can find all episodes sitting patiently in any podcast app, just waiting for you to go back and listen in. If you're liking what you're hearing, if you have thoughts to share, if you want your awesome brain featured on this show, get in touch. I'm Seamus on Twitter, or you can email ask at biteside.com. You can also leave reviews and ratings out there on the line too, so that if you do that sort of thing, you can help share the joy of this show, whether it's through those reviews or with your friends on your socials. And if you're liking what you're hearing and want to help us grow a little bit bigger and brighter, that would be fantastic. Otherwise, we'll catch you next time. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health-monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinarian-developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.